Thanks be to God for that scripture, for Katie, for Molly, Joe, and for everyone who has made this worship, and for all of you. I would invite you, if you are the praying kind, to please pray with me. God of grace and mercy, God of power and might, God of wisdom and discernment and confusion, of fire and of folks huddled together in a room, be with us today. Be with us in these moments and in these hours and in every moment and in every hour to guide us towards you, towards your kingdom and your will and towards the Holy Spirit that brings love and hope and joy and justice wherever it goes. And if we screw up, God, if we talk in a way or move in a way or decide in a way that brings our community farther away from you rather than closer, help us to start over again, as you are always willing to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a story um, that I don't tell a lot. It's one that's really important to me. It's a moment that changed my life, but I, I don't always share it with everyone. Some of you might know about it, um, because it turns out when you preach, you end up telling every story that's ever happened to you a thousand times. Um, but some of you don't. And it's a moment that I always think of when I think about the Holy Spirit. It's how I got told that I was going to be a minister. Um, I was 17 years old. I had recently converted to Christianity about a year and a half before. I was raised in a family that wasn't religious. And if any of y'all have ever been converts or known a convert to anything, really, but especially to religion, <laughs> you know that often those first few months in a new thing are a time of extraordinary intensity. At the beginning of my faith, I was just, um, I just felt so close to God all of the time. Every worship service I went to, I cried. <laughs> Every time I prayed, I felt like I had new insight shed on who I was and how wonderful the world was and who God was and how much love there was. Um, and it was this extraordinary time for me. And I was living in Mississippi and going to a church that really like lived into that understanding of the Holy Spirit. Um, we had lots of uh, Pentecostal prayer and charismatic music and time that we spent inviting Holy Spirit to be present with us and in our lives. Um, and it felt like that to me. I could feel that. But I had grown up in Illinois, in central Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, which some of you might be familiar with. And um, so I was visiting home one weekend and going to my home church, a church that I loved and that was filled with wonderful people and that had a slightly different worship style um, that I would describe as the sermons had footnotes, right? <laughs> a little more staid, a little more organized, a little less about spontaneity, um, and the, but still, still, presence of the Holy Spirit. And the pastor was giving a sermon that Sunday um, on the concept of call and vocation and how we figure out what we're called to do and who we're called to be. Uh, and I was doing what I'm sure some of you have done and which I do not hold against you. I'm in on the secret, which is that I was drifting in and out a mite of the sermon, right? Uh, there were parts of it that I was really holding on to and really understanding what was going on and parts of it where I was like thinking a little bit more about my grocery list. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like a wind, like a spark, like a nothing I had ever felt and like something I have rarely felt again, I saw this picture of myself up at the altar in a robe, older, and I heard a voice that wasn't my voice say, you're going to be a minister. 
and I was terrified. <laughs> I was really freaked out. Nothing like that had ever happened to me. Nothing like that had ever happened to any of my friends or any of my family members. Um, and it, on the one hand, felt like the most real thing that had ever happened to me. I had a sense of certainty and trust and conviction and closeness to something that was true about the world. And on the other hand, um, I had no idea what to do, right? I was like, do I go start a church now? Like now, now, in the next five minutes? Is there a school for this? Like what, what do you do? Um, and so I drove immediately to the house, the only grown-up Christian I knew, my high school history teacher, <laughs> and I said, what happened? <laughs> what do I do? Um, and he gave me the, the greatest advice I've ever gotten, which is he said, it says in the scriptures that you shall know the Holy Spirit by its fruits. You shall know things by their fruits. And he said, it sounds to me like something really incredible happened to you today. <laughs> like God did something amazing. But just in case, you can go interview a couple of pastors about what their life is like. You can go to school and take a class in religion. You can go get an internship at a church. And you can ask yourself, do I like doing this? And you can ask other people, do you think I'm good at doing this? And if time after time after time it gets confirmed that this seems like a good path, then you'll know this was really God this morning. But if over and over again it gets disconfirmed, there's some kind of gap, there's something about it that doesn't feel right, that doesn't work out, then you'll know that something else is happening today and you can figure it out then. And I was really liberated by that advice. And I did all those things that he said, right? I, I, in my heart, felt certain that the Holy Spirit had spoken to me, and I tested it a bunch of times. And I, you know, if you're paying attention, you know what the answer was, and I'm a pastor, and I'm a pastor here, right? It all worked out. Um, and that story, that experience, that time in my life means everything to me. It changed everything about where I went and who I was and what I did. Um, but I don't always tell it. And there's a reason that I don't always tell it, which is that while it's true, I worry that that story makes people think that that's the only way that the Holy Spirit talks to you about what your life should be. That that's the only way your Holy Spirit talks to you about what your life should be. Because sometimes that is how the Holy Spirit moves, right? These like big, bold moments of certainty, tongues of fire on people's heads, <laughs> languages they can't speak, winds that come out of nowhere, birds that fly from the sky. Sometimes the Holy Spirit works like that. But most of the time, most of the time, it works in a way that is quieter, that is present in the everyday substance of our life of how we gather information, of how we make decisions, of what we hear from our community. It's in all that testing stuff. And it's no less powerful for being more subtle. And it's my hope that we be the kind of people who are ready to trust it if the big moments happen, but who also are preparing our hearts and our ears and our minds and our souls for the quieter ways that the Spirit might be talking to us about who we are and what there might be for us in the world. Because that was a big decision in my life, but it wasn't the only one I've ever made. <laughs> I've had to make a lot more in the 15 years since. And in most of those, I had to move forward with a little less certainty, but just as much trust that God was going to be with me, and just as much testing of how things were working out. That's what I want to invite you into today.
and throughout this whole sermon series, which is on discernment. It's one of the reasons that I love this scripture passage that we just read, this Bible story, which some of you may have never heard before, this selection of the replacement for Judas, right? Um, Judas has uh, proven himself to not be a trustworthy one of the 12. We got to replace him. Um, And so they go through this whole process to figure out who the 12th person is going to be. And they do it before the Pentecost. Many of you, if you've gone to church before, have probably heard the end part of this scripture read aloud, the part where the tongues of flame come, the part where they empower the people to do great things that have never been done before. That's what the book of Acts is. The book of Acts is basically the story of the Holy Spirit empowering a bunch of weirdos to make the church that lasted thousands of years, right, Um, in lots of weird and strange and wondrous ways. Um, But the story doesn't only start when the Holy Spirit makes itself boldly known. The Holy Spirit is present even before, even before. And the decisions that they make with much less uh, fanfare than the ones that the flame brought. So I want to think a little bit about this decision that they're making. Um, Who should come to take Judas's place and how do we figure it out? And I want to look at the ways that they figured it out. Because lots of the ways that they figured it out are things that we can do today, right? Things that we continue to call upon to try and invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. One is pretty clear, which is prayer and fasting, that they are surrounding themselves with prayer and fasting as they come into this time where they know they're going to have to make a bunch of decisions and do a bunch of stuff about the church. And that's really important because um, the first time that Jesus had left them, right, this is not the first time they've gone to the upper room, the first time that Jesus had left them when Jesus died they got real scared and they made no decisions and they prayed for nothing. They just hid, right? They were like, I opt out of life. I opt out of decision-making. This was too scary. The second time now, they've experienced the resurrection. Now Jesus has ascended. No longer is Jesus in the community. This time, they go to the upper room and they're not scared. They're not opting out. They're not saying, I never make a decision again. They're praying because they know that they're going to continue to move in the world, even though it's a rough and a confusing and a disappointing time. So they're praying And they're just acting. They're doing stuff. Other things they're calling upon. um, Their reason, right? They're using logic. They're like, there were 12 of us. There are 11. We don't know where to start. Let's just start by filling out the crowd, right? Let's start by picking a 12th. Jesus hasn't come down and said, first order of business for the church. You have to pick someone to, to come up with Judas, right? They just use their brains, and they think, we don't know what to do. Let's try this. They use the scripture, right? Peter looks back in the Psalms and he says, there is this one Psalm that has this one line about the overseer. Maybe that is advice about what is happening to us now. They interpret, they look at history, they look at the book. They use community, right? They ask each other. The way that they pick Matthias and Justice um, is not that Matthias and Justice were the fanciest, right? Had the greatest pedigree or were the most prayerful or were the most handsome or whatever. Maybe they were some of those things. But it just says that the community got together. There were about 120 of them or 12 of them, depending, and they just kind of picked. They said, maybe these two, right? Maybe these two. And then they have to pick between the two of them. And so they pray, they wait for a sign, and they don't get one. So they flip a coin. (laughs) That's what casting lots means, right? They take an entire chance. And they just say, all right, we got to do something. Let's just pick one. That is sometimes how decision-making works, right? You gather all the information. You use your brain. You look at history. You ask your community. You, like, pray about it. You fast about it. You do all the things. 
and it's still not clear to you, and so you just have to move forward. And that's what they do. They just pick somebody. They just go for it. And one of the things that I love about this passage is that it's entirely unclear whether it was the right decision. We never hear about Matthias again. He makes no more appearances in the Bible. Um, the scriptures have nothing to say about whether Matthias was a better pick than justice or exactly what the disciples needed. Um, Tradition holds that he became a missionary to Ethiopia. That's what some people say. Um, other people say that he was really uh, core to some of the new churches in, the, in Asia Minor, but nobody really knows. And so it could be any number of things. It could be that Matthias was exactly who God intended for this group of 12, that Matthias was the perfect fit, that Matthias brought something that nobody else brought, and it was amazing, and none of it would have happened without him might be that Matthias was a total dud and like gave up on the group the next day, right? That he never followed Jesus, that he gave it all up, that he like, you know, who knows? A piano could have fallen on him the next day. We have no idea. Or, and here's what I think is most likely, Matthias was a normal guy. <laughs> and Matthias got picked, and it wasn't the exact right decision that Matthias got picked, and it wasn't the exact wrong decision that Matthias got picked, but once Matthias got picked, they worked with it. And the group supported each other, and they kept praying. They didn't say, well, we made that one decision. Now we never have to make a decision again. <laughs> and they kept thinking, and they kept seeking, and they kept working. And God did what God does, which is make a way out of no way and make good and interesting and new things happen. And God didn't just do that for Messiah and the disciples. God did that for justice, too. Justice doesn't get picked for the team, right? This is like the worst game of elementary school dodgeball ever. <laughs> you are picked to do the most important thing that anyone in your community uh, thinks is the best thing that has ever happened, be a witness to the resurrection, and you don't get picked. Justice continued to live. He continued to exist. He continued to be a person. He continued to be a follower. I think he continued to do a lot of things. I imagine that God made something wonderful and extraordinary and weird and great out of Justice's life. And whether or not Matthias was the right pick, I do think that there were problems with this selection process, right? Um, it was not the most holy or the most kingdom-like, uh, just in that all of the women who are gathered there, the women who were at the foot of the cross, the women who were the ones who showed up at the cave, aren't even considered candidates to fill the position, right? That doesn't seem like God's process to me, but God made it work. God continues to work in the lives of the women, even though nobody even looks at them to be the answer to this big question. And this is what is continually happening in every single decision that we ever make and every single decision that is ever made in our lives, which is that decisions matter, right? Attending to the will of the Holy Spirit matters. It matters that you pray, it matters that you fast, it matters that you learn, it matters that you ask, it matters that you gather. And then stuff happens, and whether or not it's right or wrong, you continue to have to move forward, and you continue to be someone who God is with and who God can do great things with. If there's one thing that makes me sad about our modern culture of how we talk about discernment and decision-making in the church and in America, it's that I think we have this really strong, really devastating and really prohibitive sense that in any given decision, there are just two binary options and one of them is the right one. And that just doesn't seem to me like any uh, part of how God works. 
I remember having this really strong sense as a college student who loved God and who was a part of um, Christian communities in the United States that like my decisions really, really mattered. And that, right, if, if God wanted me to date Joe, but I went on a date with Billy, like I could like mess up the whole world, oh no, right? Um, that if God wanted me to be an architect and I chose to be an engineer, I could throw off the whole path that had been set out for me. Um, maybe you all didn't deal with that. Maybe you were smarter or wholer or wiser or more in touch with God than I. But I think that that is both an American Christian thing and an American thing, that we think that every decision is life or death and has one right answer. And so we put a lot of emphasis on whether we're finding the perfect thing for us, the best thing for us. How many existential crises have your friends had because they're worried that their life isn't the best choice they could have made? That their apartment could be better, or their job could be better, or their partner could be better. That there's something waiting for them that isn't the choice they've made that they need. And I just don't think that's how God works. <laughs> I think that's a small sense of who God is and of how many choices God can make amazing and wonderful. Um, there is no path you can pick. <laughs> there is no thing you can be on uh, where the option of happiness and joy and justice and mercy and interesting new things are separated from you. God is in all the paths. There's this really interesting study that Harvard Business School did um, where they had a, some groups of people and they were invited to make an imaginary decision, right? To, to look at a hypothetical and they were asked two questions. The first half were asked a question, uh, they were described, right, a situation. What should you do? And then they had a brainstorming time and then they were asked, what will you do? And they made a decision. The second group of people were asked the question, what could you do? Not what should, but what could you do? They had time to brainstorm, to think about it, and then they were asked the question, what will you do? And they wrote down their answer. And then they showed all the answers that these two groups of people gave to how they would respond to various hypothetical situations, the what will you do questions, and they gave them to a whole set of strangers and said, what do you think of these answers? What do you think of these answers? And it turns out that the, the solutions that the what could you do people came up with were rated as not only more effective, more creative, more interesting, but more moral <laughs> answers to whatever quandaries had been posed to the group. Somehow getting their minds and hearts out of this should space. There is one way, there is one path. If you miss it, better give up on the whole rest of the thing. That limited their ability to actually decide well with the Holy Spirit and with their values and with all of who God made them to be. It was what could you do? This open question that said maybe there are a lot of different ways to handle it and maybe multiple ones of those ways could be good and could be great, could be wonderful. It was that question that helped them find a spirit-filled, God-ordained answer to a question that God could make even better once they lived into it. What could you do? We're going to be talking about discernment all this month, and we're going to be doing lots of things to live into that sense of discernment, lots of practices. Um, we're going to be fasting together as a community, and I'll say, um, if you want to read up on it a little bit, we are going to be having a fast, um, the point of which is really to disrupt your routine so that you make space to be aware of where God is in it, right? You disrupt your routine. For some of you, food might not be the best way to do that. If you have diabetes, if you are pregnant, if you have experienced disordered eating, right? Fasts aren't only from food. You could fast from screens. You could fast from, well, I knew someone who um, 
They thought a lot about how they looked and how other people thought of them. They fasted from mirrors for a fast, right, to disrupt that relationship, to see where God might make that new. Um, I once was experiencing a lot of anxiety of, like, worrying that something bad was going to happen to me, and so I fasted from murder. <laughs> I watched no TV shows. I, I was not murdering people, but I, um, <laughs> just in case you were worried, um, <laughs> it would be quite the way to confess. Um, I fasted from TV shows, books, podcasts, anything that had to do with murder, and it both made me alert to how much our world trains us to be scared and to only tell the scary stories but it also made me alert to God, right, in all these new places. So you can fast from all kinds of things. We're gonna be talking about um, clearness committees, which are a Quaker practice of surrounding yourself with community, telling them about what you're trying to make a decision about, and then they can only ask you questions. They cannot give you advice or comment, which is a great experience, also makes you realize how much of human conversation is actually advice pretending to be something else <laughs> when you force yourself to only ask questions of someone. We're gonna be talking about all of these practices that can help make you more attentive and more aware of where the Holy Spirit is moving in your life and of how the Holy Spirit is guiding you. But we wanted to talk, start first, not by talking about those um, paths to decision making, but about what should underlie all of them, which is trust in God and trust in the Holy Spirit that no matter what you decide, you are beloved and there is a way to make something wonderful out of that. Right? We're going to make some decisions together, but no matter what decisions you make, God will still be present in your life, and there is a lot that could be made great out of whatever you decide and whatever you experience. So I am excited to share with all of you that path of discernment, both for us as individuals and us as a church, about where the Spirit might be guiding us in our lives. Amen. We're about to be led in communion by Wellington Chiomadzi, um, but before that we have our time of offering. So greeters are going to be bringing baskets up and down the sides here to you. Into those baskets we would love for you to put um, the thing that matters the most, which is you. We would love to see your tear-offs. There are pens for you. There's cloth, uh, cloth? Paper. Sorry, guys. My son's not sleeping a lot. I keep losing nouns. Um, so you can fill out that tariff, let us know who you are, we can take you out for coffee. But also, if this is your first time, shut your brain off, you don't have to worry about this. But if you've been going to UBC for a while, I want to remind you that we are about to close pledging in a week or two. And so what's a pledge and why does it matter? What's a pledge and why does it matter? Um, when we, what's something that you have loved about UBC in the last year? Anyone want to throw something out? Something you liked doing that UBC did? Family camping. Oh yeah, family camping. I forgot about family camping, that was super fun. What's something else? Pride Parade! Yes, so much fun. What's something else we do? Just being here. Oh, Ty. Ty's so sweet. Worship, right? All of that stuff, we figure out the financial resources that we can put into those things in January. So we ask everyone to make a prediction. That's what a pledge is, right? It's like, this is how much I'm going to give in 2019. We add up all those pledges, and then that's what we budget for. So if our community decides we have X amount of money, um, enough to support going to six festivals over the summer, right, and making buttons, that's what we do. If we decide that we have enough money to go to one festival or no festivals, that's what we do. And we decide now in January. If we decide we're going to go to Pride and give away fans, as we did last summer, we decide now that we have to put the money for that in the evangelism budget line. And so that's what pledges are for, to let us prepare and to let us decide. So if you have any questions about pledging, if you've never done it before, if you don't know what it is, how to decide what you'll give and how you'll give and making that pledge either on that physical paper card or online, you can talk to me. And I thank you for being here and invite Wellington forward to lead us in communion.
A very good morning to you all. My name is Wellington Chiomazi. I'm an intern here. Um, I thank God I made it into 2019. Uh, so on the 31st of December, what happened was I just, as I was waiting for the new year, I sat in my lounge, my son was with me there, I just thought of writing something on Facebook, and I posted it onto my Facebook uh, account, and I wrote, something is up my sleeve. <laughs> just, 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 and then I just left it there. Only to learn that a lot of people are really following me. A lot of them ask me, what is it, what is it, what is it? I had just decided I was going to celebrate my New Year this Zimbabwean style. So, at exactly 12 o'clock, I went out of my apartment, stood out there, and shouted at the top of my voice, Happy New Year! I attracted uh, almost guys around the apartment, someone peeping through their windows, wondering what's happening there. <laughs> there was a Zimbabwean who was excited to get into 2019, alive, happy, and excited, 10,000 miles away from my family, but still feeling excited. I'm so happy for you guys, 2019, I am wishing and desirous to be a happy Wellington. I hope you are also looking forward to that. So, today we are going to gather around the table as we usually or normally do. At Urban Village Churches, Gathering around the table is celebrating what Jesus Christ did and had a meal with his disciples on the last day. At Urban Village Churches, our table is an open table, which means everybody is welcome. When I say everybody, I mean everybody in capital letters whether you are black like me, brown, white, straight, gay, trans, cis, whatever, you are all welcome to this table. This is a radical table in which we all celebrate the presence of Christ amongst us, that radical, bold, and relevant presence of Christ amongst us. So, I invite you to pray with me. Oh God, pour your spirit upon us gathered here today and upon this bread and wine 
Make us one with you. Make us one with each other. And make us one as we minister to the whole world until Christ comes back in his final victory. Amen. I invite us to pray the Lord's Prayer shall be cast there. And we can all pray in the language which is closest to your heart. As usual, I'll pray in Shona, which is my mother tongue. Amen. So, on that day when Jesus Christ was at table with his disciples, he took bread. and broke it, gave it to them and said, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Eat it as often as you meet. After supper, he took the cup and said, this is my blood for the new covenant. Drink it in my remembrance. Amen. So, my brothers and sisters, we are invited to table. Let us share in this body and blood of Christ. I invite the servers to come up, please. This will be two saving points. You are at liberty to use any one of the two. And we share in both the body and the blood of Christ. You are given the body and then you dip it in the cup. So feel free. Sit at the welcome table. I'm gonna sit at the welcome table one of these days. Hallelujah. I'm gonna sit at the welcome table. I'm gonna sit at the welcome table one of these days. One of these days. I'm gonna feast on milk and honey. I'm gonna feast on milk and honey one of these days. Hallelujah. I'm gonna feast on milk and honey. 
I'm gonna be some milk and honey one of these days, one of these days. All God's children are gonna get to get to join us down here, please do so right now. And we're going to sing, for time's sake, we're going to sing one verse of Leaning on the Everlasting Arm, and we're going to do the chorus twice, okay? Okay, everybody? I know you're full of Jesus, but... <laughs> and let's stand right now and sing our final song. Here we go. What a fellowship! What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace of mind, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, leaning, 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 safe and secure from all. loves us through all things and in all things, whatever decisions come to you this week. We pray that the Spirit will be with you in them, and also that you will know that no matter what way you go, the Spirit goes with you. God goes with you, and this community goes with you. Let us go into the world to be people of peace and good courage. Amen.
Lili, 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 Lili,